Shalom. Welcome to another episode of Inspiration from Zion. I'm Jonathan Feldstein, and I have the privilege of being your host, coming to you from the Judean Mountains here in Israel. I like to refer to it as the original Bible Belt. Inspiration from Zion is a program of the Genesis 123 Foundation, whose mission is to build bridges between Jews and Christians and Christians with Israel in ways that are new, unique, and meaningful. I pray that you will find this, all of those. Through this program, we are excited to be connecting you to people and stories in and related to Israel to give you a window to look through about aspects of life here that you might not otherwise know about. We want this to be interactive, so please be in touch with us at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com and send along any questions, any comments about any topic at any time. Or feel free to be in touch with us at genesis123.co. Also, please don't forget to share this with others who you know who will find it of interest. I'm especially pleased to introduce our guest today and the topic, which is important to us as uh, Jews and Christians, specifically with our biblical tradition of, uh, of giving charity, of, of tithing. In, in Hebrew, it's tzedakah. Arnie Drayman began his journey uh, here in Israel in two parallel worlds more than 20 years ago. Actually, he made Aliyah from the United States in 1984. After a successful career in Jewish education there, Arnie moved to Israel, where he launched a new career path, first in tourism, running a youth hostel, and then as the administrative advisor for the foreign students applying to Hebrew University. And finally, he owned his own business, a personnel agency doing recruiting and headhunting. After five years in human resources and employment, Arnie and his family went overseas as shlichim, emissaries on behalf of Israel, for three years. After a rewarding experience there, upon his return, Arnie began two new career paths, web programming and philanthropic consulting. Today, we're going to speak particularly about the latter. For the first 10 years, he worked full-time in the newly emerging and very exciting world of high-tech and internet startups here in Israel. Concurrently, he began to take on clients, foundations, and donors to help advise them how to give their money away here in Israel properly. And for the last 15 years, Arnie has been working on a full-time basis in the field of philanthropy while still assisting nonprofits and small business owners with their websites and social media campaigns. Personally, as it relates to social media, when I follow Arnie's social media posts and comments on other posts, I always find him uniquely clever, thoughtful, witty, and weaving a range of deep insight and integrity with being very down-to-earth and approachable. Arnie has been interviewed and quoted widely in the media for his expertise in efficient philanthropic giving, as well as other fields, including job placement, social media engagement, and networking, all of which overlay, of course, with the nonprofit uh, business. And he can be reached always at Arnie, uh, at Draymond Consulting, D-R-A-I-M-A-N Consulting.com. That's DraymondConsulting.com. Arnie, it's a pleasure to, uh, I get to see you. Our, 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 our listeners are only getting to hear you, but welcome. It's really wonderful to see you and welcome to Inspiration from Zion. Thank you, Jonathan. It's a pleasure to be here and I appreciate the opportunity to speak about a very important topic. It really is very important. We're, we're having this conversation just weeks before the end of the, the 2021, um, fiscal year, calendar year. And it's a time when people are considering 
year-end donations and tax deductions. Um, giving, of course, specifically among Jews and Christians, is con- is generally considered an act of kindness and something that we understand from our different uh, traditions that we have an obligation to do. But there are practical aspects to that as well. And I want to get into some of those issues with you today. Um, with pleasure. For- first of all, let's just take a wider view. Um, we as as Jews understand the Jewish principle of tzedakah, which is loosely translated as as charity, but not really. Uh, more, it's more than that, and it differs from charity. Um, can you enlighten us onto what's the what what is the source of tzedakah, uh, and what does it mean substantially? Thank you. Yes, uh, tzedakah comes from the Hebrew root letters sadi, dalid, kuf, which really forms the root for anything that has to do with being just or righteous or right. Uh, it usually refers to in the Torah and throughout the Bible about being honest and fair in commerce and exchange and business. Uh, tzedakah over the years uh, has come to over the years, even 2000 years ago, but certainly uh, more recently has become to mean more about righteous giving about how one would want to give to people in need. Great. That's the, that's, and it's a little bit different than the word charity, which, as you said, it's not exactly the same, because the root of the word charity uh, is caritus, coming from caring, like I give because I care, as opposed to the uh, Torah concept of tzedakah, which is you give because of the commandment of God. We have to give. Correct, correct. Right, Jews... Jews under, undertake tzedakah, the commandment of giving, uh, giving, um, and, and tithing 10% as a biblical obligation. One of the 613 commandments that we have. And, and, and honestly, I've never really engaged, um, too many Christians in the conversation other than I know that tithing is this, is coming from the same concept. But you're right. Charity, charity is a nice word and it feels good, but it doesn't have the same sense of righteousness and and um, biblical obligation, obligation. Exactly. correct. Exactly. God, we're doing it. Not, it may make us feel good, but we're doing it first and foremost because God uh, expects us to do that. There's even a, a passage in the Talmud from again from about written about two thousand years ago that talks about uh, you having to give your part of your field to the priests in the temple. Correct. And and perhaps uh, you don't like the priest at the time. You don't like him. I don't want to give to him, right? Well, you you cannot not do it. <laughs> you 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 can be forced by the uh, powers that be to give. Now you can be more specific and say I don't want to give to you know Joe Cohen, but I'll give to Sam Cohen. Good. But uh, in general, you still the force. By the community that they, the power they have above you to give is there. Well, it's funny you say that because I'm thinking back, not with any particular uh, uh, instance in mind, but in my 35 years of nonprofit, um, I've had any number of occasions where people have said to me, "I'm never giving you, not me personally, but the organization, a penny again because of some some uh, some." issue that they had with the organization or how they felt maybe perhaps as an individual, they weren't treated um, properly. I, I thought you were going to say something else, which I didn't think of going into today's conversation is that also from a Jewish tradition, um, correct me if I'm wrong, it, every Jewish person has the biblical obligation, no matter how rich or how poor 
that always has that same obligation to give 10%. Well, uh, let's not talk about the 10% yet, because that's a okay. separate issue, and that's a very interesting one as well. Uh, but the actual uh, commitment to give is, yes, even in, 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 in the sources are very clear. Our sources say that even a poor person who is receiving tzedakah right. from the community still has to give tzedakah. Uh, they are not exempt just because they are receiving this. And part of the reason is probably uh, self-worth and self-honor that you don't want someone who's taking to only feel like a taker. He's also a giver. Also Gives him a certain, yeah, a certain self-importance that I too can give, right? Mm-hmm. Even if I'm taking. It's also a fuzzy line. I mean, where you, you, one can receive charity uh, from a number of places, but where do you draw a line as to say, uh, I, I'm no longer obliged to that one, to that one, uh, the commandments. Um, I'm, I'm exempt from that because I receive so and so. And but you're never exempt. That's the that's point. The that point. You, right. always, you, you always have to give. We even have an example on the holiday of Purim where uh, uh, certain foods are exchanged. Uh, the Mishloach Manot, the, the the giving of uh, two kinds of food to an, another family. And it says even a poor person who gives to another poor person, okay, they can just exchange what they have so that they, you know, the net result is is, a, is zero, right? Nobody won, nobody lost. Everybody right. got what they had, but they each had the act of giving, so they fulfilled the commandment of giving. That's, That's very really important. important. I'm glad you brought that out. You know, you're reminding me, I want to move on, but you're reminding me of probably one of the most significant um, donations I ever received. I was speaking in a church in oh, the name of the city is escaping Lumberton, North Carolina. And a woman approached me afterward and gave me a, to, to give me a donation. And with tears in her eyes, she handed me a penny with apologies that that's all she could afford, which put tears in my eyes. And I felt so much sense of responsibility to uh, as the steward of her donation that I actually took that very same penny put it in an envelope, taped it to a piece of paper, and sent it to the office that processes the donations, spending more money than it cost to, uh, right. what do you do with a penny? But but it was so meaningful that she wanted to give something to support Israel. And so, she did. Th- yeah, th- so the person who taught me quite a bit, almost everything I know about uh, giving and tzedakah and, and, and doing good, his name is Danny Siegel. Okay. Uh, easily Google Danny Siegel, the poet, writer, uh, lecture all about this topic. Uh, he's produced more than 40 books on the topic, etc. cetera. He uh, has always said there's no such thing as a small mitzvah, meaning yeah. it, it, it doesn't matter how much you give. As long as you're giving it uh, where it can be best used most efficiently and effectively. And some of the examples that we've come across uh a baby thermometer in the United States costs roughly two and a half dollars. If you have a family that can't afford it and they wait too long while the baby has fever and they don't know what to do and the baby becomes very ill, uh, meningitis, other things can happen and they wait too long it, it, and they could have, you could have saved that problem for just two dollars and fifty cents. Right. Right. So if you know how to use your charitable funds properly. And that's, that's my job is helping people understand that. And that's really what I do. 
but we're going to get into that. Uh, l- l- let's let's go back to the thing that we deferred a moment ago, uh, the the issue of 10%. Christians give um, at tithing. Our tzedakah is traditionally understood as 10%. Um, I don't know what you know in terms of Christians and how, how Christians are giving, but, but let's talk about the 10%. Okay. And one of those very common um, biblical pillars that we have uh, together. So tithing uh, is clearly a biblical commandment. There are oh, at least four or five different kinds of tithing that are uh, obligatory. All of them have to do with giving of some sort of agricultural produce. And it could be cattle, could be fruits and vegetables, etc. And so, but that's the basis for this idea of tithing, of giving 10%. Uh, and there's different cycles for them. Uh, in the seven-year cycle, there's a uh, there's one where the poor people get every third and sixth year, and there's a first tithe of the first year and the second year. It's a whole series of uh, biblical commandments, which is very interesting to look into. It's very lengthy. There are entire tractates in the Talmud dedicated to this topic. Uh, the idea of giving money uh, comes a little bit later. And we have the concept uh, of giving 10%, but it's not in law. It's not in Jewish law anywhere. It, it, it comes out more as a concept and not as a very specific commandment. Uh, in fact, uh, I'll quote a few times from the following person, the Rambam, Maimonides. He lived about a thousand years ago, and he is one of the top two, three, if not the top preeminent scholars in Jewish law. That right. even though he lived a thousand years ago, we still follow what he said today. We study him carefully. We follow his words carefully. Uh, and he says very clearly when uh, about the 10% what's called a rule, the 10% concept, he says that uh, 10% is average. He uses, oh, the word, he, uses, he uses the word benoni, average, okay? Uh, and that you could, uh, and you're allowed, you should be giving more than 10% up to, he makes an upper limit, up to 20%. You should not give more than 20% uh, unless you can afford to do so. So that it would, where it would not impact you, impact upon you that uh, all of a sudden you need to turn to the communal resources for help and charity as well. So right. he says 10% is average. And he says that anything less than 10% is really sort of like uh, bringing on the evil eye. It, it, it's just not a good thing to do. You really want to be seen in the, seen with the eye, uh, God's eye in a good light. So at least 10% and no more than 20 well, if 10% is average, I'm not a mathematician. That means there has to, have to be a, a balancing <laughs> number above and below 10%. So someone might give five or 8%. Um, and that, and, and if the, and, and if Maimonides says that 10% is average, then that's got to be okay. Yeah. I, I think he meant average, not in a mathematical term, but like it's sort of like a satisfactory, like, passable. Yeah. Exactly. Like it's okay. He wasn't, he wasn't, pra- he wasn't praising the 10%. Okay. He was clearly he was clearly praising people who give between ten and twenty percent. That's really which nice, is, which is fascinating because we we all think about the ten percent. Yeah, I mean, that, that's that's a new enlightening piece to me. So I hope it is to others who are who are following as well. Um, correct me if I'm mistaken, but it's also Maimonides, the Rambam, who established the 
um, levels of giving. Uh, the, 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 it's, a, it's referred to metaphorically as a ladder. Can you? Uh, it's right. always fascinating to me, and and I and I love how the progression of that is. Can you talk about that for a minute? Sure, with pleasure. Uh, the uh, ladder of, of giving. The, the he he created eight levels of giving, and he felt that it was important that we should understand that it's not just all or nothing. That there's different ways of giving, different understandings of how one feels about giving. Before that, though, I want to just mention. He opens up his uh, chapter when he talks about giving, about tzedakah. He says something so unique. Here's a guy who wrote, or a guy. Here's, here's one of the preeminent <laughs> scholars, right? He's one of the preeminent scholars of all times, uh, genius mind, rabbinic mind, who commented on every halakha, every Jewish piece of Jewish law, every mitzvah, every commandment in the Torah every holiday, every way of everything you should do from the time you get up to the time you go to sleep, every moment of the day, everything, right? And, and his yeah. volumes and volumes of work. And then he talks all about his other volumes about uh, uh, philosophy and understanding life, et cetera, right? And, and not to mention he was a doctor and he was a few other things, an astrologer and a few astronomer, a few other things in life. But anyway, uh, he opens his chapter on giving with the following line. He says, we must be especially careful uh, to observe uh, the mitzvah of giving, the mitzvah of tzedakah, more so than any other positive mitzvah in the Torah. Wow. Now, wow. wait, before, before you continue, I'm going to explain it. The po- I want to discern yes, between positive exactly. and negative. Right. So in the Torah, like you mentioned, we have uh, conceptually 613 commandments. Some say there's a few more, a few less, but the, but we go by the general idea that there are 613 mitzvot, mitzvahs, commandments that uh, is, was given were given by God uh, to the Jewish people. Half of the, uh, I'm sorry, not half. 365 are uh, negative commandments. Those are the ones like "Thou shalt not murder, steal." "Thou shalt not." All, all the "Thou shalt not." Okay. Right. Those are the negative commandments. We call them negative commandments. Not that they're bad. They're just in the, in the, they're don't do it. stated, stated in the negative. Yes, don't do it. The positive commandments are all the other ones about honoring parents, uh, keeping Shabbat, keeping the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Uh, what else? Uh, all the different holidays, putting on, uh, they're praying every day, putting on fill in the, the Jews wear in the morning, uh, eating matzah on Passover, etc. You know, all of these positive commandments we have and we have 240 uh, many of them right um fasting on yom kippur there's so many important ones right and the and the only time maimonides says this kind of this statement is that is for tzedakahs for giving money to people in need he says that we have to be the most careful more so than any other positive mitzvah Okay, now there's a cliffhanger, but are you going to tell us why he says that? I can tell you why. I think he doesn't say why. Oh, he doesn't say it. He doesn't. He just leaves us and says this is the most important. Right, and it's an instruction. And then wow. he goes into the ladder and if you, all kinds of other ways of giving and things that are important. I'll talk about the ladder in a minute. Let me just give you yeah, my yeah, yeah. I want to know why. I want to know why he said it. I think it's because he understood even a thousand years ago that 
it was very easy, and I use that word carefully, for people to be very uh, scrupulous about keeping the Sabbath, about keeping kosher, about uh, honoring parents. All of those things, they come very easily. But giving tzedakah, giving uh, charitable funds, becomes very difficult. And I'm, and I'm going to explain to you as part of our conversation today why that is so difficult to do. Uh, anyone can do it. It's very hard to do it properly. Okay. And, and that's really the key. I think he understood that it was easy to be meticulous in many of the other areas, particularly the ones, uh, you know, how much matzah should I eat on Passover? What type of matzah should I eat? Who should grow the matzah? Where should I get it from? You know, all these little details, very easy. And for some reason, tzedakah, even though it's mentioned more than 150 times in, in the Torah, Okay, it's one of the it's the most discussed item about helping others in need. Uh, he understood that I think people just kind of give blindly. They kind of they don't really give out to understand how they're giving. So you think that Maimonides meant not to be careful about making sure we get at least to that ten percent threshold, but to do so responsibly, thoughtfully. Um, and, and, and I'll just add the word, which we're going to talk about later, impactfully. Well, yes, I think he understood that because he talks about it as well. The, the concept that Sadaka money never belongs to you. Ah, right. That, that, that money always belongs to the recipient. You right. are merely, you are merely the trustee. You're, you're holding the money in trust for the recipient. You might have worked hard and earned money, but we know that that, percentage let's call it the 10 to 20 percent doesn't belong to you right and some people say when i ask uh, on an audience like who does it belong to and they all say god i'm mm -hmm. like well that's nice but even god says no it belongs to the recipient yeah and so you you have a uh, responsibility as a trustee of a fund to give the money out in a write the word trust right in a trusting manner so that the recipient uh, receives the most of that money as possible to do what needs to be done to help that person in need. This is extraordinary. And clearly it's something that you've not just studied and, and internalized, but how wonderful that you're in the position to help other people and how wonderful you're here with us today to help other people really understand that. I'll tell you, it, thank you. Thank you very much. It comes from uh, the book of Proverbs. Uh, chapter 22, verse 22, it's easy to remember, 22, 22. <laughs> uh, and the Hebrew is, al dal ki dalhu, don't steal from a poor person yeah. because he is poor. And it's like, what did the author of Proverbs mean by saying, don't steal from a poor person because he's poor? Well, what does he have to, what can you take from him? Right. You he doesn't have anything, right? And the answer that, that the rabbis give over the years is that uh, there are certain things that are his, like the tzedakah money. Yeah. They're his. They're not, yeah. they're not yours. And so uh, if we take the biblical commandments of uh, tithing of the fields and the leftover, uh, leaving the corner of your field for the poor person, and uh, many of the other agricultural commandments of giving to help the poor person, if you don't do that, you're in essence stealing from the person in need. 
That's they're cool. his. They're not yours. Right. Right. So that's what the that's what the verse seems to mean. Don't steal from a poor person because he's poor. Like don't take advantage of him. Incredible. You know? and, and 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 which is actually a great setup to go back to the latter conversation because yeah. then the then Maimonides is saying now okay now you have this obligation and it's the most important of all the positive obligations that you have and now I'm going to give you a a scale by which to judge how to do so most impactfully let's let's talk about that for a minute okay so i, I don't want to go into all eight levels in depth Great. but we'll just we'll, we'll just say uh he starts with the best the highest level yeah okay which is a good way to start instead of building up from the bottom he wants to take you right to the top yeah okay now if you ask and then i've done this so i can you know uh unverified uh data Right, I haven't done a research project on this, but I can tell you based on years of doing this, but when I ask a person, what is the highest level of giving? 99% come back and say giving anonymously. That you should give quietly, anonymously, that you don't know who you're giving to, and the person who receives doesn't know who the money came from. So there's no embarrassment involved. You did your mitzvah, you did the, uh, you fulfilled the commandment of giving, etc. Well, according to my mind, that's, only the second level. Oh, that's the number two. Okay. That's number two. That is not the highest level. The highest level is actually uh, it's divided into like four parts, but it's the concept of helping another person so that they don't have to be taking money from the communal tzedakah fund. Okay? So, for example, it's giving them an interest-free loan so that they can get on their feet and with no, no interest. It's uh, creating a partnership with them in some sort of business. It's em- employing them, giving, finding them work, either through your company, if you have one, or g- helping them get a job somewhere else, getting them a new suit, helping them write their resume, getting them job interviews, yeah. whatever, whatever, whatever it is. Um, and, and it's the, the concept of just getting them to a place where they no longer need assistance. That's where they're the self-sufficient. Yes, that's the highest level of giving. Okay, which which uh, which which necessarily is not uh, doesn't always or can't always be anonymous because if you're actively helping someone to get a job, that's right? That's great, right? If I give you an interest-free loan, yeah, you know, it, it doesn't have to be anonymous, and and he doesn't talk anything about anonymity at this point. He's just talking about what's the best way to do it. Wow. And uh, it's very clear that, you know, and, and it's in his list of what he calls it the, the laws of, of gifts, gifts to the poor people, right? So he understands that these gifts uh, come in many ways, you know, shapes and variety, shapes and forms, so that the giving can be a gift of a loan or a job, you know, take somebody who needs it, and even if they're not real good at it. Let them at least six months, a year, you know, pay them minimum wage, whatever it is. It's better than them having to take money from the communal fund, you know, not to mention self-respect and it helps them feel better about themselves, sure. they their family, et cetera. Sure. Well, the- and then he goes into the other levels and the other levels all deal with different types of uh, giving with uh, anonymously where you might know the person who receives it, but they don't know you, the person uh, you might not know the person, but they'd know that you gave. You know, let, let's say, for example, you uh, 
set up some sort of Sadaka fund where you, it's, it has your name on it, right? It's the uh, John Smith uh, Fund for Helping Hungry People. So everybody knows that John Smith is giving the money that goes in there. So, you know, it might be that the poor person comes and gets money from there to help, to be helped. He knows it was given by John Smith. Uh, it, but John Smith doesn't know who's getting it. He's not controlling the fund. Right. And, there, there's, so, and there's all different levels like where neither side knows. Uh, one interesting thing, he says, any kind of communal uh, tzedakah fund, any kind of communal charitable trust or fund, whatever, you can only donate to that. You can only help that if you know the person who is running it. And he gives three criteria that they have to be uh, trustworthy. It's a bad translation, but the word wise, like clever, smart, they have to understand business and, and people at the same time. And they know how to run a business because a Sadaka fund is still a business. You're getting money in, you're giving money out, you have to keep track, you have a public obligation for public money, etc. So he's very clear about. Who, you know, when you give money, you have to know the organization who's running it, and and the people in charge have to be pretty much beyond reproach. Well, then I then I have to step in with tremendous humility and say to everyone who's given me in the context of Genesis One Two Three Foundation um, how appreciative I am for people having that trust in me, and how and how exactly. just sitting here today, you've helped me even raise the bar on. Uh, I think I'm doing it, but but I, I need to always go back. And measure myself, and 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 uh, and and be able to um, receive that the trust should be well placed. Correct. Correct. Wow. Uh, and and the bottom few levels of his eight levels have to do with you should give before you're asked to give. Lower than that would be you give after you were asked. Lower wow. than that is uh, you give, but you give less than you should. And the bottom level is very, the eighth level that he gives is very interesting. Uh, it says somebody who gives, and, and we have to use the Hebrew word here for a moment, be'etzev. And almost everybody translates it as begrudgingly. Okay. Somebody who gives, you know, with a sourpuss face and like, <laughs> here, take my money, blah, don't, you know, whatever. I don't like that translation. Be'etzev, the word etzev comes from atsuv, meaning sad. Sadness, yeah. So it's somebody who gives, we talked earlier about charity when you give because you care about a person. So I think he was saying here, my opinion, that the the worst way to give is to give because you feel a certain sadness about the person who you're giving to. As in pity? As in pity, exactly. Wow. Yes. That rather you, you sh- it, it, that's not the place where tzedakah comes from. It certainly now, juxtaposes the highest level which is to help somebody become self-sufficient. Correct. Wow. Correct. So it, it's it's a fascinating study. You know, I wanted to digress. It, it is fascinating. Thank you for, for bulleting that out. It was enlightening to me, and I'm sure for, for others. Um, on, on the issue of anonymity, I didn't know that that was only the second level from the bottom, uh, but I remember a, a, a lecture with a rabbi 20, oh yeah, it was 25 years ago. It was right after my father died. And it left a big impact. He, I, I don't remember the, the details of it, but we were talking about the concept 
of giving anonymously. And he, and, and he projected some rabbinic commentary that somebody wanted to give a lot of money anonymously and was persuaded not to do it anonymously because, well, obviously because of Maimonides saying that that's only the second level, but also because by giving publicly, you can inspire others to follow suit, to Correct. join you. Correct. And and that's um, that always stuck with me. I, I when yes. we, today when we do online crowdfunding campaigns, twenty five years ago we didn't have that, but uh, and, online crowdfunding campaigns when people put their name and a little, you know, attaboy, I'm 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 with you. That's really meaningful because then you're you're stepping up and showing that you want to support that actively in yeah. some public way. You that's mentioned awesome. something very yeah. You mentioned something very interesting, which comes up very frequently. Sadly, when someone dies, usually it's a parent, let's say, and the kids and the older kids, they're in their, even their teenagers, right? But let's say in their 30s or 40s or 50s, an older parent died uh, and people come to visit and uh, in Jewish tradition, it's seven days of the Shiva that they come to the house. Morning. Another, uh, morning, yes. And other, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. Yes. And in other traditions, there are other ways of coming to pay respects. And what frequently happens is they'll come over to one of the kids and say, did you know that your mother or your father was a great giver of tzedakah? They helped me do this or they gave to my kids or they, or I know that they were big in this. And you're like, really? I didn't know that. Right. And, and it's for me, I mean, it's very nice to hear, but I wish the kids would have known that growing up. Yes. That their parents were so involved in giving. Because it sets it sets the example for them for their life as well, and that it should be something that's done in public. It should be done with humility, but it can be done in public. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Actually, uh, again, making me think about my father. Well, before he died, he established a fund in his synagogue right. to um, to help. This is before birthright, before the idea of bringing <laughs> young people investing, and he yeah. established a fund to send a couple of people from his community to be able to come to Israel, young people. So they would be, they would be and feel connected. And then it's funny. You also mentioned about learning. You certainly learn about um, that during when people pay a condolence visit. Uh, but just recently when we downsized, um, I came across a box that I'd been carrying around with me for 25 years of letters, condolence notes that, that me, my brothers and my mother received at the time. And I hadn't looked at them in 25 years. Right. Fortunately, t- today, it was easy to scan them and share them with everybody who needed to see them. But it was really inspiring to see how uh, we didn't know everything my father did. But but certainly that, you know, he, he helped me here. He touched me there. And that's nice. A nice. But after after effect to have that feeling and know that someone makes that difference. But you're right, uh, especially a parent and a child. A child should Correct. know because you're, 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 the parent is raising the child and we're supposed to emulate them. And, and, and yeah, okay. So that's right. another, that's another great lesson for people to, uh, to have multi-generational conversations in their, in their charitable giving and, and their yes. support of Israel specifically. Um, let's, let's pivot to the calendar a little bit. Sure. It's the end of the year. And people are beginning to get bombarded and soon will be more bombarded with appeals for donations, um, of all sorts. And still people use direct mail and, 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 and email and text messages and phone calls. And I, I'm, I, I, and then the generic 
Facebook post, I'm raising money for this and, and right. more. Maybe there are eight levels of that. And that's a conversation we can have to rank those, which is the most proper or effective. <laughs> um, how can one who wants to give sort through all of this and maintain the greatest integrity that they desire to make the biggest impact? Right. Um, particularly, like you said, uh, it, I think there's a fun factor, although we need somebody to go fact check us while we're talking. <laughs> I think more more money is donated in December than the other 11 months combined. Uh, it is really a highlight of the year for people to give in the United States and other right. countries where, where you get a tax deduction by December 31st. Uh, and some places it doesn't work that way, so it's less important. Correct. But, but, uh, so how do you know what to do? And you're right, you're bombarded with so many options. Okay. I, I will say this carefully. I don't want to step on too many people's toes. I don't <laughs> mind stepping on a few. <laughs> but when you get a recommendation from somebody and says, Oh, you should give to the, uh, Israel Purple Chair Association, and you say, "Really? I'd never heard of them." <laughs> they say, "Oh, it's it's amazing. My my aunt was in Israel and she visited, and they do amazing work, and they're really great." You're like, "Okay, right?" And that that could be coming from a rabbi or a pastor. It could be coming from a teacher or. Uh, somebody in the family, a friend of the family, a person at work, your boss, coworker, whatever. It, the question is, what do you mean they're great? Did anybody bother to really check the Israel Purple Chair Association? I mean, yeah, I went to visit and they looked great, but are they really great? And this is what Maimonides meant when he said, you have to be more careful about giving tzedakah than any other positive commandment. It's because you, you have to take the time to look into where you're giving. You have to check as, as deeply as you can before you give. That's the obligation that you have as a person who's giving. You have to check. Now, how do you check? Well, fortunately enough uh, for me, people hire me to do that. <laughs> So that's my job. That's what I've been doing for almost 25 years, a little bit more than 25 years already, for various philanthropists and foundations and funds and donors from the United States and Canada and England, Australia, Switzerland, and people who live here in Israel who have money overseas who want to donate as well to not, uh, to nonprofits, to causes here in Israel. Uh, but I don't do it for them blindly. I like to teach them, but it's really their obligation. So what do you, what can you do? I've written articles about this. I'm happy to share them. You know, we can figure out if you have a mailing list. If people want to learn right. a little bit well, much more in detail. Anyone who wants some information should, should be in touch with us at e either at Arnie's uh, website or directly, or feel free to email us. For you. Yeah. For and, sure. and I'll be glad to share. So, um, the, the first thing you should do is check their financial report. Now I know that sounds hard for people, particularly who hate math or hate numbers, right? But there are some basic things in the financial report to look at. It's you want to know about their overhead costs, the ratio between overhead and programming costs, right? I would, I, in my criteria, I like to keep it somewhere between 10 and 15 percent uh, is permissible for overhead costs. I, I like to see that most of the money, 85, 90 percent of the money you're giving, go to the actual 
program of the organization. So, for example, if you're giving money to an organization that feeds hungry people, well, I would like at least 90%, you know, if I, if I give $100, I want $90 to go to feed hungry people. Why should I give if only $50 goes to feed hungry people and the other 50 winds up paying salaries of administrators or for fundraising trips or airplane flights or I'll give you a, even a terrible example uh, that I've come across. We have uh, like soup kitchens in Israel where they feed people who are hungry. Right. Soup kitchens here are not like soup kitchens in the United States. In soup kitchens in Israel, you, you never see a single mom with three kids coming to eat. In the States, it's very common. It, it, it's for all kinds of poor people. Here, right. almost the vast majority of the people who come to a soup kitchen in Israel tend to be uh, elderly. Right. And what they're coming for is a hot meal and the social aspect of hanging out with others. Right. Okay. Both of those are super important. Right. A hot nutrition, a hot nutritious meal once a day and the social, you know, I guess I have a reason to get out of bed to go meet my friends and yeah. play cards or, ch or play chess or checkers or whatever for a few hours and then go home. Right. I mean, they're crucially important, but one of my tzedakah funds, we paid for a social worker to work six months at a soup kitchen, hanging out with the people who came. And she, she, that's right. She became friends with them. She would offer to walk them home, carry their bags for them if they had gone Great. shopping or whatever. And she saw in every, in almost every case, the people had food at home. They weren't starving. They weren't hungry people. Uh-huh. They were coming to the place for the social and for the hot meal to hang out with, you know, maybe they had food at home, but they weren't cooking. Right. Yeah. So again, those are important things, but I don't like it when the organization portrays itself as we're feeding hungry people when what they really are is just, it only is very important, but only a uh, social club for the elderly. Correct. Cause and they, the they way know, I was going to say, cause they know a social club for the elderly they can't raise as much money as for poor, pathetic, starving, hungry people and children. Right, right. Yes. So, but you, you, uh, uh, we've counseled or you've counseled me a, a few times. And most recently, I think, back after the um, war or conflict we had in, uh, with our neighbors in Gaza back in May, and we set up an emergency fund. And my MO when I do these is to sit back and wait. I don't like to make boisterous claims we're going to rebuild this. We're going to do that right. um, because because some, you can't make those claims up front and it's nonsense. But then I want to see what the needs are. And you helped me. And I remember one particularly uh, um, meaningful visit. And I went I went down to Steyrot. Those who don't know, that's uh, the, the city that's closest to the Gaza border that suffered from rocket attacks and, 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 and trauma for, for a couple of decades now, 20 years. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, went to one of these places and not only dispersed the funds, but by the way, also with the intent, not just because the money is going to children, we weren't able to take their pictures, but also just from a, a, a sense of um, anonymity. But I heard from them how they do go to the kids' homes and there is nothing in the refrigerator, literally nothing. So it right. made me feel all that. So, so it's a great resource. But, you know, I want to, I want to, eh, maybe pushback's not the right word. Um, it's important. You're right. People need to look and understand, but it's very easy to uh, looking at financials you know this and uh, and I I've certainly experienced it people can hide a lot even in their israeli financial statements or american financial statements there's one particular 
nonprofit that I would love for someone to audit seriously because I just have this feeling that something's totally not kosher there, but you can hide details. And, and I, and by the way, you know, you work for 35 years in nonprofit. This is the first time I'm working for myself as an, as a nonprofit that I've established, but I've worked for, I can count probably three that I, four that I know of that just didn't operate a hundred percent with, with fiscal integrity. I mean, even right. breaking the law. I've donated to organizations. I've referred others to donate to organizations, not even the ones that I've worked for. Others, um, you mentioned a soup kitchen. There's a famous soup kitchen here whose whose founder was uh, was was arrested. Um, I referred everyone to that to that former soup kitchen. Should have asked me. <laughs> well, I didn't know it at the time, but I but I've also been burned personally and professionally. Right? How do you know? How do you really know? How do you know? So I, I will tell you that of the uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds uh, of nonprofits that I've been investigated, looked at very carefully, um, uh, it's, it's what we call doing due diligence, yeah. right? Um, so. Uh, of the hundreds, uh, it's probably 600, 700 already that I've looked at in depth. There are only 60 or 70 I can recommend. It's usually about 10%. Most of them don't pass even my basic criteria. It doesn't so mean they're egregious, but just they don't meet the bar. Right. So one of them, as I said, is the amount of overhead that they spend. Right. Because um, I really want my money to go to the program. I don't want it to go to overhead. Okay. Correct. Another area is how much money do they have in cash reserves? And that's also on the fiscal statement, and it, they can't hide that. It's there. Um, and so if an organization has, pick a number, a million dollars in cash reserves, right, net assets, cash reserves, they don't need my $18. Correct. They don't need my $25. And I will say to them uh, when I'm investigating, I'll say, like, why would anybody want to, you know, oh, but we need that million dollars for a rainy day. So – Classic example, uh, somewhere about a year ago, year and a half ago, we had a worldwide pandemic. I don't know if you're aware of that. I've heard of it. And you've heard of it. And organization after organization was asking for money. We need money to survive. We have to help more people. There are more people out of work and more people are hungry. There are people have to pay their electric bills. And I'm like, you're sitting on $15 million in cash reserves. You know what? It's raining. This is the rainy day. Go spend the money. Come to me later. Let's talk a year from now. And let's see how you spent the money. Let's see how you did. Let's see what you did. What you did. And you know what? You want me to replenish some of that? I'll deal with that. I'll, I'll, I'll worry about it then. But right now, you've got the money. The rainy day is here. You know, the storm is here. And we, we, I see that a lot in organizations. So, so like I said, overhead uh, and then cash reserves is important. I like to also look at the salary levels. Even if their overhead is not uh, terribly high, I still want to know what the people are earning. And all of this is public information. Yes. Nothing I'm saying is secret. It's, it's on, uh, there's a website called GuideStar, yeah. GuideStar.org for the United States and GuideStar.org.il for Israel. Oh, I didn't know we had one here. We do. And it's set up by the uh, Registrar of Nonprofits here in Israel. It's run by them. All the information is given officially. Uh, so it's all there. And the top five salary getters are there, uh, are listed for the Israeli ones in the United States. They have to list 
how many employees are earning $100,000 or more per year, including the top salaries are listed. And if someone's earning four or $500,000 a year, I begin to wonder. I know the line. People come to me all the time. But, you know, we, we can't find the good people to run the organization for less. I'm not so sure. I think people would work for $250,000 a year. <laughs> I, I mean, t- correct me if I'm wrong, as we say. Um, I'll let I don't you know think when you I have, earn $250,000. Me too, exactly. <laughs> I, I don't think you need to earn five or six or $700,000 a year. There are organizations that belong to or, or connected with various Israeli nonprofits who have branches in the United States. Yes, the friends of. Where friends of this or that, or they don't always use the word friends, but you can tell it's the same organization, right? Where the CEOs, of just of the American ones, yeah. are earning a million dollars a year or more. Yeah, some of that's egregious. Okay, mm-hmm. why? I'm, I mean, okay, <laughs> let's, say, you know, let's say he fundraises and brings in $200 million a year. Great. Doesn't mean he needs to be paid a million dollars. It's funny. I, I I hosted a donor here recently who uh, who's connected with a major organization like that, and and I was commenting how if I had a fraction of the salary just of the CEO, right. how much I could do with with uh, with that amount. So so there's a lot. There's a lot, and 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 we're gonna get tripped up, but and I and this is gonna lead to a point that yeah. I want to come up with you specifically about Christians, but but you're you're when, people when when we speak about philanthropists, you're typically speaking of people who are giving certainly upper five, six, seven figure amounts of money, if not uh, um, uh, at individual chunks cumulatively, but and, and so when they're making relatively large donations. Certainly, the the impact um, as far as where the money goes is proportionally significant. But what would you say to somebody who's giving small donations, five dollars, ten, twenty five, a hundred dollars? It's yes, it's the exact same thing. I I don't care how much you're giving. It's it's a percentage game. So, and by that I mean. Uh, if the organization is spending 30% on overhead, it doesn't matter whether you're giving $18 or $1,800 or $18,000. The the percentage of what you're giving is still being wasted so that you want as least waste as possible. You have to be as careful as possible. So as I said earlier, like if you knew how to spend $2 and it was actually the, the cost of a baby's amount of, uh, we got wholesale was $2.66. So if you knew how to spend two sixty six, that's a perfect donation to, yes. to buy a baby thermometer for somebody. You're done. You did it, right? Um, the uh, idea of uh, I had a school here that was for dropouts. It was a last chance effort for kids before they wound up on the street. And uh, I asked one of the people who was working at the school, I said, you know, what do you guys need? They said, well, we need food for the snack room because these kids come off the street anyway and they're hungry and they have nothing to eat. So we keep a refrigerator full of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and things like fruit and drinks. I said, okay. And what else do you need? He said, can I tell you what we really need? I said, yeah, what do you really need? He said, pencils. (laughs) 
pencils. I said, pencils? He said, yeah, these kids come with no school supplies to school. And I'm not asking for rulers and, you know, uh, fancy notebooks or anything else. Just pencils, please. And we gave them gift certificates to the local office supply store to go buy pencils. Amazing. Uh, Amazing. You know, so again, if you know how to spend little money, it's fine. There's no problem with it. It's, it's the problem becomes when you aren't careful and how you're giving. Great. Um, okay. Now, now I want to get to, I think probably my ulterior motive for wanting to have this conversation with you. It, it's a, it's a big pet peeve of mine. People who follow this know that I write a lot on, on a variety of Christian websites and been doing it for well over 10 years. And it's a, it's a privilege. For yeah. me. Um, but occasionally I have something to say to people who aren't Christians. And one of the most significant articles that I wrote, you know, the site, e-Jewish philanthropy, I wrote a few years yeah. ago <laughs> about a big pet peeve where I've observed, I, I know it's, I, I observe it and I have the right to call it out because I'm Jewish and Israeli and I'm calling out Jewish and Israeli organizations that do this, but I also know Christians do this to other Christians which is the objectification of Christians as what I call a faith-based ATM. Simply just trying to get money out, yeah. not only without, without having a relationship, but without, without any substantial integrity. And, I, and I'm pained by it because I see good Christians with a huge heart for Israel and a deep, genuine desire to help and bless Israel who are taken advantage of, uh, of by, by organizations. And again, it runs the gamut. When I wrote this article, I wrote it to a Jewish audience. I don't like to air dirty laundry in our, in our community too much. But Christian, my Christian friends saw it, or many Christian friends saw it, and thanked me and said, you know, Jonathan, it's also prevalent among Christian organizations. And I know that. So I'm bothered by people or people, organizations, that making claims. And you alluded to, to it. Uh, it, it, for, in a couple of examples, but claims that are not 100% kosher, forget the financial um, integrity of it, which is, which is a, certainly an important measure. So how can people like this who give from a profound love um, of Israel and the Jewish people, how can they be more discerning when, and I, and I don't want to belittle it, and I, and I don't want to dismiss it, but if they're giving from an impulse because they see, oh, it's Israel, I need to do this because this looks good on TV or the, or the email or the piece of mail I just got in my mailbox, how can we prevent Christians, help Christians from being taken advantage of like this? So, uh, wow, so many points. You have yeah. another hour we can talk? Or, or, or we'll come back. Okay. So, uh, first of all, it's not only, right, Jews or Israelis to Christians. It's not only Christians to Christians. Yes. There are Israeli, for years, right, Israeli organizations who look at Jews in America as an ATM, right? That all American Jews are rich, therefore they must support us here in Israel. It's, just, it's, 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 it's the exact same thing. It doesn't matter which group is saying it, doesn't matter which group is on, on the receiving end or on the giving end, whatever, we see it in, in so many ways. And it's terrible in every case, each and every case. It's awful, just awful. So when you're asked for a donation, 
<sighs> people accuse me of being cynical. So here, here goes. <laughs> <laughs> it's good cynicism, Arnie. It's very good cynicism, and I try really hard. Um, the the slicker the campaign, the less likely they are to be the most efficient and effective at using your precious and holy shekels wow. or none. Okay, so I'm not saying that a good organization that I approve of can't produce a two minute video clip that looks really good. They can. And some of them do. But I know for sure on the other side that all of these big organizations with high overheads and high salaries and huge cash reserves who really don't spend as much money as they should on the program, they have slick materials, advertising materials, PR campaigns, uh, every social media account, uh, video clips, uh, you can tell when you see it that it's it's not a question of being professional. It's a question of being slick. And I, and I, you know what I mean by the difference? Yeah, yeah um, slick, is, slick is, slick is, 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 um, borderline sleazy. Yeah, sleazy, greasy. Uh, boy, I don't want to ruin a whole category of people, but it's the proverbial used car salesman trying to sell you a car that's not really good. Right? That's, a, there that's are actually a great example. Okay, so there are plenty of good used car salesmen, and there are plenty of good used cars. Yes. There are plenty. We all buy them, and we get them checked out. Could you go to a professional and check it out to make sure you weren't being lied to? Right. That's what I do. People come to me to check out what's happening to make sure they're not being lied to or not being conned or they're not being uh, seen as just as an ATM, just like, here, take my money. Oh, I have money. And it doesn't matter if you're giving out $18 or, again, $18 million. It doesn't matter. I have clients... Uh, who give very large sums of money, uh, hundreds of thousands and millions of shekels and dollars a year. And I have clients, I have people who come to me and say, I just inherited a lot of money. I don't ask what that means because to them it means, right? Correct. Someone came to me once and they had uh, about $80,000. Okay, I think $80,000 is a lot of money. I have people who come to me and say, I inherited some money, but it wasn't so much. Like, yeah. <laughs> and then it's like, oh, yeah. And they, you know, and they get $500,000. I'm like, that's not so much, right? Yeah, sure. I, <laughs> you know, I can help you give out $500,000 beautifully and you'll be so impactful. But you can do it on your own. I'm happy to help. I'm happy to earn a living. I'm happy to work hard for my money. I'm hungry. I'm happy to do it. I'm happy to make the work. Happy to write articles. I answer emails and telephone calls generally. Uh, for free. I don't charge, and I usually give a first hour of consulting for free because I want people, the field is so important, I want people just to be able to do it. Okay? If you really want me to work for you and do serious work, so I'm going to charge you later down the line and we'll talk about it up front. But in general, take a few minutes and do the research. Look at their website. Look at their general financial report. Ask around. See who knows them. See what they've been talked about. Um, and You'll get a feel for it. You just have to be a little, uh, let's say, more educated. I don't want to say smarter because it's, it's really more about street smarts than most anything else. Right. Uh, but just be more educated about how you're giving. Because so we, need to balance, we need to balance the love from which we're giving with eyes wide open. 
yeah. not be blinded by not be b- blinded by by the what may seem as something compelling. Yeah, it, it's all too often we see, as I said, the poor pathetic kid with the bloated belly on the cover, and you know, for uh, one dollar a day, you can feed the little boy and his family. I no, um, anybody who's using kids to do fundraising. I think there's an ethical, moral, moral problem with that. Anybody who tells you it's a dollar a day, no, nah, I don't buy that either. Uh, if they had said to me, it's 87 cents a day oh, or dollar, yes. or, or dollar, dollar seven, I might believe that. Correct. Then they're telling me the truth. Someone figured that mm-hmm. the math. But when you tell me, you know, I, I want you to build a playground for disabled kids. How much is it? It's $50,000. Yep. No, it's not. There's no construction company in the world that came out with an estimate that it was exactly $50,000, including the exchange rate of the shekel on that day when they gave you the bid. For Israel, Correct. Right? Correct. Now, so I'm very wary of those kinds of things. Excellent. I'm so glad you said that. Um, the, the, by the way, I, we, we could do this for another hour and I'm, I'm yes. really, really eager to see what people's responses are, but I do want to wrap it up. Um, one of the reasons that I wanted to host this program now, as you mentioned, December is typically, if if not more than the whole year, it's, it's the month in which most people give the most money. And some of it's because they're realizing it's the end of the finish line and, uh, and they have an obligation. And some of it's because if you're in a business, you have to assess what your, your, your year end profit is, uh, in order to know how much you're supposed to give. But December is a big time. Um, I don't know if it's because of that or just to kind of give a, uh, a positive action to Thanksgiving that Giving Tuesday was invented after Thanksgiving, which is, which is American, um, and falls just before or sometimes in, uh, in December itself. But, but Giving Tuesday has become so prevalent that as much as it's hard to discern on a, on a daily, weekly basis, appeals that one might get or, or see um, we're, we're bombarded. We're bombarded with, with donation requests just in every single media possible. What do you suggest specifically as giving Tuesdays uh, approaching from when people are seeing these emails and going to have open, wake up in the morning and have a slew of emails all day, give to this, give to that. And then all the social media and then the, the mailman arrives and you're getting appeals. How do you how do you dis- distinguish and discern um, from all of these organizations some that you know of and some that sound good but uh, but you don't necessarily? Right, so anything you don't know, you have to check it out. So I, I, the quick answer is you should never give under pressure. Somebody mm-hmm. who hasn't appealed to you and says uh, for the next twenty four hours, if you give, every donation will be oh, matched or tripled, right? That. Right. It's the pressure and be, oh, okay, okay, I'll give. No, sit back for a minute. I understand there's a huge incentive to give if my $10 becomes 30 because somebody's matching it, you know, three times over. But if you don't know the organization, your $10 is going to go to waste. So you've, you've done nothing. As I said earlier, that money, that $10 you're giving isn't yours belongs to the recipient and if you're giving it to an organization they're not the recipient no in which case then they're stealing it from the donor 
Exactly. From the so, They're stealing so, it. Yeah. The favorite lecture that I like to give is called When Giving Tzedakah is a Criminal Offense. Beautiful. And that's it. You you just need to be so careful every time. So don't give under pressure. Don't give with these deadlines. Check out everything carefully, more carefully than you can possibly imagine. I know it takes time. I know it's a pain in the tush, right? We can say that word. Uh, <laughs> to, 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 to do that. I know because I do it all the time. But And for people who don't, have the experience it, it can but do whatever you can to check it out don't give blindly beautiful beautiful arnie this has been amazing um so Thank wide-ranging you. and i'm afraid to ask you what else you what else you want to say that you haven't but maybe we can save that for for round two but is there a, in the context of when we're speaking at, yeah. at the end of the year and 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 specifically to a christian audience is there anything that i didn't ask that's on your mind that you'd like to add um, we learn a lot from the Torah and from the Bible. We learn a lot. It's ongoing for thousands of years, day in and day out. And as I mentioned early on, the word tzedakah, tzedek, the root is about being just and righteous. And it's mentioned over 150 times in the Torah. It's, it has to do with how you're dealing with, you know, it's commerce, agriculture, the treatment of slaves. Right? That's really the first time it comes up in uh, Exodus 21. And in Deuteronomy 15, later, it talks about what do you do when a slave leaves you? Oh, yeah. You, you have to give him a lot of stuff. Yeah. You don't send them out poor and pathetic into the world. Parting gifts. Parting mm. gifts. And, and it's not just one or two items. It's good stuff, right? Animals and, and clothing right. and right food and whatever. So... And, and all of these things uh, are biblically based. You can look through Isaiah and Ezekiel and the book of Psalms and Proverbs, as I mentioned. Uh, it, it's always talking about tzedakah as the concept of being just, of justice and integrity. Um, and we have, even in the book of Daniel, there's, uh, there's a few things in Daniel that I like. But one here relates to the word tzedakah. Like, it sounds like tzedakah, tzedakah. Yeah. And it talks about the concern you need to have for poor people. So it, it, it's there. It's our roots. And you have to understand when you're giving, it's not just I'm giving. So, you know, check, check it off my checklist, right? You know, I got to brush my teeth today, eat breakfast and give tzedakah. No, giving tzedakah is a huge thing. It's, it's uh, throughout the Bible, throughout our lifetime, uh, and it's, it's, you know, the Hebrew concept of tikkun alum, of repairing the world, making the world a better place to be. This is our way of doing it. And we do it based on the sources, on our tradition. Beautiful. Uh, you know, Arnie, I, not, not with platitudes, I don't need to say that. But I knew this was going to be a good conversation. I didn't really know how good. And, and um, you've exceeded my uh, expectations and taught me a lot. And I'm really grateful. And, and I hope that those listening have as well. Um, thank you. Thanks for, for taking this time um, and, and your tremendous experience and insight. My pleasure. And uh, anybody wants to be in touch, let me be in touch with you directly. They can be in touch right. with me, Draymond. All they have to do is look for Arnie Tzedakah. Just Google okay. Arnie Tzedakah. They'll find me. Um, I'm very well known out there. I, I'm not embarrassed to be out there. I like for people to know how they're giving and to do it right. Great. Awesome. Uh, speaking of giving and doing it right, let me also just wrap up by uh, some thanks to the people who make this podcast 
uh, possible. Um, right. First to, first to the um, friends at the Willow Run Greenhouse in Culpeper, Virginia. Um, I always like to say if you're near Culpeper, Virginia, and you need something that a greenhouse provides, go there and buy it from them. But if you're but if you don't need anything, but you're still near there, go in and give them a hug and thank them. Thank them sincerely for for enabling conversations like this. And also thank you to our friends, the Coin family, for their meaningful sponsorship. Um, like all the Genesis 123 Foundation programs, Inspiration from Zion is made possible by donations. So if I pass the high bar that Arnie has uh, established here in this conversation, please consider joining us to help continue the dialogue and build bridges between Jews and Christians and Christians with Israel. Um, if you'd like to sponsor a future episode in honor or memory of a loved one or a special occasion, please do be in touch with us at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your comments as part of a dialogue and invite you to send any questions as well, specifically questions you have about Judaism for our Ask the Rabbi segments that we do monthly. And please, again, do share this with others who you know will find it of interest. And I think this one especially should be shared and continue to join us right here as we bring you more meaningful conversations about unique topics related to Israel that you won't hear anywhere else. Wherever you are in the world, I pray that you and your loved ones are all safe and healthy and send my blessings to you right here from the Judean mountains. God bless you. Hallelujah.